of the history of Jesus on earth. And we have to understand that this first written account is only between 20 and 30 years after the ascension of Christ. So this is, these people are still around. The people that he mentions in here, and the reason he mentions them by name is because stuff he's, he's saying can be verified by eyewitnesses. So he mentions a lot of personal names in here, so you can go back and check it out and make sure he's, you, you can verify what's being said. So if you would, if you would start with me at the beginning, um, and we'll read from verse 1 through 12 this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching the baptism of repentance, for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Um, and we talked about that last week. And by the way, when did, he, when, when did the fulfillment of that statement happen? When were, when were Jesus' followers baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit? Not till Pentecost, right? This is going to be after Jesus' ascension. Always look. Always read the scriptures with an eye to fulfillment. We saw this fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't it exciting to be a Christian and to realize that all these things that were said about Jesus are, have, have come to pass, right? And we can see that. And he sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and filled the believers. And praise the Lord, he's been filling us ever since. Amen? Are you glad for the Holy Spirit this morning? All right, so we got the Father, we got the Son, and we got the Holy Spirit. And you know what? We're going to see them again. Don't miss that connection. Uh, Mark is, is forever displaying to you the Trinity, if, if you'll look for it. Now let's pick up our text for today in verse number 9. <clears throat> it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Verse 10, and, and immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then the voice, then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then verse 12, immediately, there's that word again, right? Immediately. The Spirit drove him, Christ, into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. This is the word of the Lord, and may God add his blessing 
to the reading of His Word. You might just jot this down. Some of this is in your outline. In verses 1 through 8 last week, we saw the preparation of the way, the preparing of the way for the Christ, the Messiah, who was coming. And that was John's message. And he preached it, he preached it hard, didn't he? He preached it loud. And, and, and Mark says, all Judea and Jerusalem came out to him to be baptized and they publicly confessed their sin. This was a national revival that was taking place. So in the land of Palestine, um, there, there were four, really five provinces, but only three that we, that, that we see often mentioned in Scripture. Think of a province like a county. We're in Bibb County. Uh, Warner Robins is in Houston County. These are like counties. So the northernmost county was Galilee. And then... The southernmost county was Judea, and in Judea was the city that was the capital. Anyone know the capital of Israel? Jerusalem, the main city, right? And then the problem was between those two was another province of Samaria. Now, that's where the Samaritans lived, and it split Palestine in two. Um, and the Jews and the Samaritans did not care for each other. There was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, animosity between the, the, the two people. Um, and the Samaritans kind of worshipped God their own way. And the Jews didn't care for that. The majority of Jews, you need to know this, the majority of the Jews lived in Judea around Jerusalem. The vast majority of the Jewish population of Palestine lived in the south and they and the southern Jews didn't think much of the northern Jews um, the Galileans they they thought the Galileans were liberals because they had so much interaction with Gentile people so you see as you look at the land of Palestine and I would have had a picture up there if I could have gotten a program working today um, it is the all of the trade routes from the area funneled down into Galilee. So the Galileans had did a great business up there. Um, and, but they had a, as a result, they had a lot of interactions with Gentile people. And the Jewish, the Jews who lived in Judea kind of turned their nose up at that. And, and they kind of held the Galileans um, with a wary eye. They, they said, they're Jews, but they have so much contact with the outside world, they're tainted. Okay, so you have to understand that as we get into this gospel, it's going to make more sense to you in just a moment. But all of Judea and Jerusalem go out to be baptized of John. And he prepares the way. We saw that preparation last week in verses 1 through 8. Today, we're going to see the pleasure, the pleasure of God, really, in verses 9 through 13. The pleasure of God on the Christ in verses 9 through 13. So Roman numeral number 1, I've just titled that the Savior. The Savior in verse 9. It says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So again, Galilee is north. It's in the northernmost uh, province of Palestine. And Jesus had to walk all the way down um, either through Samaria or what most of the Galilean Jews would do is they would cross the Jordan River 
It would add a whole day to their travel. Cross the river, come down the wilderness side, the, the, the eastern side of the Jordan, very harsh country, uh, and then cross back over at Jericho um, in the south and then go into Judea that way just so they wouldn't have to step foot in, in Samaria. That's how strong the prejudice was against Samaritans and the Jews. So Jesus has to go from Nazareth, and he comes. To, John's been baptizing for a while. We don't really know how long. It might have been weeks, more, more likely. It could have been several months that John was preaching this message, and national revival was taking place. The people of Israel, of Palestine, they were longing for the Messiah to come. Uh, the number one name, the most popular name of Jewish boys in the first century was Yeshua or Jesus. Um, because they, were, they, were, they, they named their boys Yeshua as a, as, as a, a prayer, if you will, because it literally means Jehovah's salvation. And they would name their boys this name as, uh, in faith, saying, God, send us your salvation, save us from these Romans. Um, but they were looking for a physical kingdom, and God was bringing something very different, wasn't he? So we see here that Jesus comes from Nazareth of Galilee, comes from the wrong province. He, he, he comes from where the liberals come from. No good Jew could ever accept anything coming out of Galilee. And then he comes from the most humble of all the towns in Galilee, Nazareth. Nazareth is so small, the well is so small there, they said it can really only sustain uh, this little, it's not even a city, and it's barely a town. They said it could really only sustain about 60 human lives. And Nazareth is small, it is not even a dot on the road. <clears throat> and people from Nazareth were considered, even by the Galileans, the rednecks or the hicks of the area. They were literally known, as I started to research this this week, they were known for their mispronunciation of the Jewish language. They mispronounced words and they had terrible grammar. That's what the Nazarenes were known for. Uh, and they had, a, they had a weird dialect. They had, they had a local way of speaking and that's how come all of his disciples, they could immediately figure out, you guys are Galileans. You talk with that twang. And you're mispronouncing words, right? And, it, and the worst of it was in Nazareth. So Jesus comes from the wrong province and the worst city. And he comes down south to be baptized by John in the Jordan. The Jordan River. Now that word Jordan River uh, has come to um, represent death. It has come to represent death. It dropped some 1,300 feet from its beginning at the Sea of Galilee until its terminus before uh, the Dead Sea. It does not flow into the Dead Sea, but it drops some 1,300 feet. It is said that it, it, it comes from three different rivers, including uh, that come, flow out of the uh, area, including the Sea of Galilee. Um, and the word Jordan um, is a two-part word that means waters and judgment. Isn't that something? The waters of judgment. And here comes, John tells us who this man is. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus comes down to be baptized of John. Now we have to go to other Gospels to see what happens here. Remember, John's giving you the police blotter. He's giving you the first blush report. 
Right? These are all highlights of what happened. If you want the details, you've got to go to Matthew or Luke, who wrote right after him, but borrowed from his, his gospel. We know that when he comes to John, John tries to stop him. He said, no, I don't need to be baptizing you. In fact, you need to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, permit it to be so, so that we can fulfill all righteousness. Why were these people being baptized? What was the purpose of John's baptism? Repenting of what? Did Jesus have any sin to repent of? No. no. Listen, the baptism of Jesus is interesting. And John was right. I need to be baptized by you. And I don't think John was talking about the water baptism. I think what John wanted was the Holy Spirit, right? I want the Holy Spirit baptism that you can give me and only you can give me. Why was Jesus baptized if he had no sin to repent of? And he says to John um, in the other Gospels, this is to fulfill all righteousness. Why would Jesus be baptized if he had no sin? Example what? He's still a man. Example and identification. He's, what he's saying, this is Jesus saying, this is my stamp of approval on John's message. Right? And I am identifying with all of mankind. I'm identifying with my fellow Israelites. That Israel has a sin problem and we need to confess it. Now, what's interesting is when we see this, even in Mark's short fast gospel, Mark says that they were going into the water and they were do, confessing their what, church? Sin. That was part of this baptism process. What did Jesus have to confess? Nothing. Nothing. That must have stood out like a sore thumb. And, he, and John says, this is him. We see this in the other gospels. John says, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he is. And Jesus says, no, you have to please baptize me. We've got to do this to fulfill all righteousness, to identify with the very people that Jesus is going to pay for their sin, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I am a part of my people. Amen. Aren't you glad he identifies with us? He also didn't just identify with sinners through his baptism. He identified with the sermon of John the Baptist that we must repent of our sins and identify ourselves with Christ through the waters of baptism as saints and followers of this king. Jesus did it to fulfill all righteousness. It was the right thing to do. And if it was the right thing to do, you would find Jesus doing just that. Amen? Amen. To fulfill all righteousness and to follow the instructions of the Father. It is also, I think here, what does baptism signify? The death, the burial, and the resurrection. I think, I think this is a prefiguring of the gospel itself. It's Jesus saying, I am submitting myself to my Father, and I know what is coming. What is coming is my eventual death. What is coming is my burial. But what is also coming is my resurrection on the third day. Jesus is acting out his mission on earth in front of all of the people baptized by his cousin John. Can we see that this morning? <laughs> he also did it, somebody said over here, as an example for what we need to do. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we, are, we need to be baptized as a public identification with Christ and his message. So he's baptized by John. 
in the river of judgment. Isn't that, isn't that something? The Jordan, the Jor and the Dan, the rivers, the waters of judgment. And oh, how God would judge the sin of the church through the body of his son in just three short years. Now, I don't know. Around here, and we're going to have, by the way, we're going to have a baptism service very soon. I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from some pastor friends of mine and churches close to us um, and seeing which baptistry we can use. So we're going to have a baptismal service. And if you've ever been to one, normally we do them in the summer on the beach. And we wear our Hawaiian shirts, um, which is a funny story about that. The first time I did a baptism service here, I wore a Hawaiian shirt only because that particular shirt was made of a material that dried really fast. Um, and I wanted to be able to get out of the water, and we, we, were, we had a meal, kind of cookout afterwards, and I didn't want to be wet all day, so I wore my Hawaiian shirt. Well, the Lord was kind to us, and a, and a couple months later, we had to do, had another baptismal service. More folks had come to Christ, and uh, I got my Hawaiian shirt on, and lo and behold, I got there, and everybody else had Hawaiian shirts on. And so that kind of became a thing uh, at our church. And ever since then, 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, um, people have worn Hawaiian shirts to our baptisms. Um, and it's a celebration, right? I, I, my mom used to tell us as kids we would drive a long way to church uh, uh, and mom would get these cassette tapes, I think from Reader's Digest, she would order them. And one time she got a set of tapes of Hawaiian music. And mom will put this, and I'm going to tell you something, you can't be in a bad mood and listen to Hawaiian music. It's just the happiest music on earth. And, and our baptisms at, at Lake Wildwood Baptist Church, they're celebrations, aren't they? I mean, when those people come up out of the water, we shout for joy, don't we? We make, we make a fuss. We clap, we, we shout, we praise the Lord. And I think that's the way it should be. But I got to tell you what, I'm not so sure how this one, this baptism was received in heaven. I, I got a feeling that heaven was, that, that was a painful thing to watch, even for Jesus himself, knowing what was coming. How, must, how, that, how that must have affected the heart of the Father, and yet we're going to see something here that's very beautiful. So we see the Savior in verse 9. But in verse number 10, I want you to see the Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit starts showing up. He shows up in verse number 8. We got the Father and the Son in verse number 1. Verse number 8 is the Spirit. Verse number 9, here comes the Spirit again. And notice this word. It says this, He's baptized by John in the Jordan. And what's that word, church? No, in verse 10. And what? Immediately. There it is. Immediately. Coming up from the water. Now, I just want to say something here. I've heard whole sermons on this. But he came up from the water. That indicates that he went what? Down into the water. Um, brothers and sisters, we can have all the debates, and there, there's good debates to be had about the mode of baptism. For sure, uh, in the early church when water wasn't available, they did other types of baptizing. But Jesus, we can be sure, went under the water and came up out of that water. He was immersed in baptism. Because it pictures, it, it prefigures death, right? When, when we bury people, we don't just sprinkle a little dirt on them and walk away. That would, that would not be right. We, we put them under the ground, right? 
uh, or, or in Jesus' day, inside of a tomb, inside of the earth, and, and seal off the door. There's no, there's no way around the fact that Jesus was baptized under the water. That's why John went to this specific area of the Jordan, because it had deeper pools so that people could be baptized. So as Jesus comes up out of the water, look what happens. Immediately coming up from the water, He, this is Jesus, saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon Him like a dove. So the first thing Jesus sees as He comes up out of the water is the heavens open. Now that word is interesting. When it says the heavens parting there, it literally means to rend or to violently tear. It's the same word that's going to be used a little over three years later when Jesus cries out, it is finished, to telestai. And what happens to the veil of the temple? It's rent in twain from top to bottom, showing that God did it. That word rent, to tear violently, is the very same word that is used here of Jesus as He comes up out of the waters of the Jordan River. He sees heaven torn open. That's, don't miss that. How many of you realize there is a veil between what we call heaven, where God lives, and earth? Y'all realize that? And that veil, like the veil of the temple, that's what it signified is the only thing that keeps people like you and I alive. Amen? Because no man has seen God and live, right? Because of the holiness of God. So in His kindness, God cuts us off from Himself so we can't, be, <coughs> we can't behold Him. And by the way, don't be deceived. Heaven is the, We tend to think of heaven as really far away, somewhere on the outer edges of the universe, don't we? Don't, don't we all think that? We think, well, there's, there's three heavens in the Bible. There's the atmosphere. Everyone, everyone take a deep breath. That's the air you're breathing. That's the heaven. Then there's, then there's outside of the ionosphere, which we call outer space. All right? That's the second heaven. And then we think if we go a little bit further past that, we get the third heaven where God lives. And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians, being caught up into the third heaven. Here's where we make our mistake, thinking that the third heaven is farther outside the second heaven. Brothers and sisters, I believe that heaven is right here. I think it's dimensional. And I don't want to get too scientific here because I'm a C-minus student. But the old, even the old rabbis believed in eight dimensions of the universe. And dimensions are different than time. And I think heaven is dimensional. It's another dimension and it coexists right here among us. Matter of fact, if God could peel the veil back and allow us to see that dimension, we would be shocked. I believe heaven is as close as the air that you breathe. I think it's right here, existing alongside of us. And that's how come, because it always baffled me when, when, when Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right there. Why? We, what happens is that veil's gone and we realize we're in it. We're literally in, seated in Christ. In, in the heavenlies right now. And the heavenlies are not on the other side of outer space. It's literally right here. The veil is torn back and we wake up to realize where we've always been. Isn't that a beautiful thought this morning? So I think when, the, when it says the heavens were torn open, I think God just, just tore that veil back. And Jesus could see 
the dwelling place of God. And we will find out later, and I, and I won't mention any more right now about this, but it's interesting. Uh, Norm Wakefield showed this to us years ago. Some of you remember that Sunday school class he did in there. He shows us where, I believe it was John, says of Jesus, Jesus' words, I behold the face of the Father at all times. You see, at His baptism, that veil is torn, and Jesus, because of His sinlessness, can behold the face of the Father at all times. And then Jesus goes on to say, whatever I see the Father do, that's what I do. That's how come everything Jesus did was the will of God. He, he, his eyes were constantly on the Father. Isn't that interesting? Um, so what we see here is a visual confirmation. So through this tearing of the veil, the heavens are rent open or ripped open, and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and literally lands on Jesus. What a beautiful picture that is. We have those doves up here today that represent the Holy Spirit. I saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon Him like a dove. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And other people witnessed this as well, didn't they? It wasn't just John. It wasn't just Jesus. I would like to have been there. I hope we get to rewatch some of this when we get into the kingdom one day. Amen? So we have this visual confirmation, a physical touch. The Holy Spirit rests on Jesus, the third person of the Trinity. By the way, you know how Jesus succeeded in His sinlessness? That very Holy Spirit who rested upon Him. You know how you and I succeed in, in, in not sinning? By relying on that very same Holy Spirit, which we get to be baptized in, that John talks about in verse number 8. So we have the visual confirmation of God, the touch here. And then we have number 3 is the satisfaction. The Father now speaks in verse 11, and that is the vocal confirmation. So first we see God in the form of the Holy Spirit in this beautiful dove that, that lands upon Jesus. And then... A voice. Look at the rest of the scripture in verse 11. So the Holy Spirit is, is, is on Jesus like a dove. And then the voice came from heaven. Now this voice isn't past outer space. It's right there, isn't it? Here's what the voice says. You. So who's the voice talking to? Jesus himself. There's a conversation between the, God the Father and God the Son attested to by God the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity shows up. Don't miss that. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What a statement. It's a personal statement. You are my beloved Son. And in this statement, this is the blessing of God the Father, the confirmation of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit Launching, do you all realize this is what launches and inaugurates the ministry of Jesus? <clears throat> Up until this point, Jesus was a carpenter from the most humble town in all of Galilee. He was nobody, he was building chairs and carts and stools. He was just a carpenter. But now, the confirmation of God Himself through the Holy Spirit 
and the father launches him into a public ministry. And Jesus' life will never be the same. And at this momentous occasion, look, I want you to look in detail at what God says. He speaks specifically to the Son and says, You are my beloved Son. What does that mean, beloved? Hmm? Much love. The first thing that you see there is that word, my. That's possession, isn't it? You're mine. And I love you. You are my son. And you are deeply loved. And he doesn't stop there. He says, and in you I am what, church? Well pleased. Now I think that's the father saying that all the way up to this point, from birth to 30 years old, you have done well. You, you went home at 12 years old when you hung back in Jerusalem and scared Mary and Joseph to death. You went back and you submitted to them. You fulfilled my commandments. Well done, son. You're mine. You are deeply loved and you have done well. By the way, can I hit the pause button for a second here? And I want to speak to all the dads out there. How many fathers have we got in here today? Raise your hand, dads. Okay. I just want to tell you, can we, take a, can we take a little cue here from God the Father? Dads, we need to learn how to bless our children. If you want a little pattern, God gave you one in Mark here. He said, how do I bless my kid? You know the word blessing literally just means well words. Well, words. I was driving uh, this week down the road. I feel like I'm, at this point in my life, I'm just a taxi for my children's activities. I don't, Beth and I were talking the other day, I don't believe the, those older four kids had near as much friends and did near as much stuff as these younger four. I don't know what that's about. But I'm, I run these kids and Andy, he might as well be mine. Uh, am I right, Angie? Thank God for Angie. I drop them off at baseball, and then Angie brings them home from baseball. So we got a little deal going there. Uh, and, and Ben will tell you, where's Sam? Back there, Sam? He'll tell you, too. I'm forever getting after these fellows. Even my wife says, you're so hard on them. You, why, why you talk so rough to them? That's because I'm, I'm building men, not boys, right? And they know that. But I'm driving down the road, and I think it was just you and I uh, this week. And I looked over at Ben, and, you know, I don't know. Dads, are you like me? You look at your kids, you see a checklist of things that need to be worked on. <laughs> don't, don't you? Bobby, you get, you get me? And just, and I'm, this text is bumping around in my heart this week. And just as clear as can be. This is, this is when God's so kind to you. I'm thinking about this voice of the Father, this physical touch, right? I'm like, you know, that's, I need to be doing that too. And I just looked over at Ben and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, hey. He looked at me and I, I just looked at him and I said, you're my son and I love you. And I'm so pleased with, with you, with your work, with what you've been doing, how hard you've been 
putting your effort into some things that you're working on right now. You're mine. I love you. I'm proud of you. And you got to have that physical touch to go along with that. And I know we sit out there and say, well, you know, my kids are all grown. Oh, let me tell you, your grown kids need this too. So I got a homework assignment for you this week, dads. Get your hands on your kids this week. Your daughters need this too. I just tell them, you're mine. And I'm glad. I love you. I think you're a winner. And I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, and, and, and yeah, you're still going to see a checklist when you look at your kids. Things that need to happen. But you know what's going to make those things happen more than anything? Them knowing who, whose they are, how you feel about them, and that you're proud of them. And that needs to start young. Right? It's easy to do that with little kids. It's hard when they tower over you. Right? And you start to parent out of panic. Ever done that? Yeah, I look at Sam, I'm like, good night, I got just a few months left with him. So I'm trying to fix everything that's wrong with Sam. That's a big list. Amen, Sam? <laughs> right? And I realize, you know what? I got to back off and I just need to put hands on that young man and say, you're mine and I love you and I'm proud of you. And I am. But he needs to hear that. He needs to feel that touch. That's what the father did here. He touches the son through the Holy Spirit, physical touch. He tells him where he belongs, you're mine. And you're my son. And you're beloved. I love you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're mine. You know, I, I know coming up with my dad, I know my list was long. <laughs> my checklist was long. One of my dad's favorite statements to me, because He'd get home and mom would tell him what I had done. And that was generally every day. And he'd come over to me and he was, he'd, he'd be looking at me and his jaw would be twitching. He would say, this, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what's the matter with you? Right? And I say that sometimes and I, I try not to. One day I thought I'd be smart, Alec, and say, well, my problem is my father. And uh, that did not go over well. <laughs> I, I never said that again one time. And when I woke up, I said, no, we'll never, we won't be saying that again. <clears throat> but I know Dad always had a punch list, right? But there were times. Dad was the best man at my wedding. I couldn't think of a better man than him. There were times that he put his arm around me and said, you're my son and I love you. I'm glad you're mine. I'm proud of you. Why are we withholding that from our kids? The father doesn't withhold that from his son. And I know your dads are thinking, well, his son was perfect. Yeah, he was. But if your son ever has a hope to be, he needs to know who he is. He needs to know how you feel about him. And he needs to know that there's something about him that you're proud of. We see this beautiful moment frozen in time. And this intimate affirmation and confirmation of the Holy Spirit, the Father, on the Son. And this is the satisfaction. The Father says, I am satisfied with you. This was also the launch of Jesus' public ministry. 
This is it. This was the father saying, you've done well. What was he well pleased with specifically? I think it was the baptism. You obeyed me. Told you to go down there, get with your cousin, and identify in those waters of judgment, because you're going to fix this for all who will believe soon. Jesus obeys. The heaven is torn open violently. The Spirit descends and touches him. The Father's voice says, You are my much-loved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hey, world, here he is. John's been preaching the truth. John has been clearing the way. You all have come out. Here's the announcement. Not only is Jesus coming, he's here. Messiah, the King, has come. And you would think, if I had written this story, you would think that right then Jesus preaches his first sermon and starts lining up the troops. That's how I'd do it. That's how the church growth people would tell you to do it. That's not what happens, because then you see the suffering. And I'm not going to talk about this today. I'm going to deal with this tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. Check it out. This beautiful moment. But then verse 12, there's that word again. What's that word, church? Immediately. The Spirit, capital S, that Spirit that's on Him is now behind Him. Notice, and I love the New King James Version does a good job here. And immediately the Spirit drove Him into the wilderness. Jesus is lit literally driven by the Spirit. Like the Spirit is pushing Him into the wilderness. And if I can get this thing fixed next week, I'll show you what that looks like, where he was. And he goes south to the west of the Dead Sea, and guess what's there? Nothing. People don't live there because they cannot sustain life. And Jesus goes out into the wilderness. And in verse 13, and there he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts. In other words, the only companions he had were the wild animals. And the angels ministered to him. Now that's like boom, 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 boom. There's a lot of stuff that happens in between all that, right? We know that he is tempted by Satan. We know that he's fasted for 40 days. And that the angels come to minister to him at the end of all of that. right? So there's order to this that you're going to get in Matthew and Luke. But we see, isn't it something that after the confirmation of the Father and the Spirit on the Son... That the very first thing that happens is 40 days alone in the wilderness. By the way, dads, that's why your kids need to hear you confirm who they are and feel your touch on them. Because listen to me, they got some wilderness experiences ahead of them. You know what I believe rung in his ears and in his spirit in those 40 days? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we tend to look at those 40 days as a negative. I don't think it was. I think that was 40 days with dad in the wilderness, just me and my father. Because hard times were coming. I'll talk about that next week. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I come to you today thanking you that you introduce us to Jesus in the way that you do through Mark's very fast gospel. 
I thank you that we don't need a ton of details. I thank you that the Savior is introduced, that the Spirit confirms him visually for all to see, and that your voice speaks over him. A, literally a Hebrew blessing taken right from the culture of your people with that vocal confirmation. And that even in the suffering that would take place physically without eating for 40 days, that, Lord, you, you, you pushed him, you drove him right to where he needed to be to have one more vacation with you, <laughs> one more uninterrupted time to spend in your presence basking up your confirmation on his life before Satan shows up and tries to bring it all crashing down. And Lord, I pray for the dads here today that you would give, give them wisdom. Lord, I, I saw the tears in the eyes of these guys today just hearing those words. Those are tears of conviction. They're also tears of longing, what we wouldn't have given to have heard that from our dad. Let us be wise and not withhold that from our children. Let them feel our touch and hear our words of confirmation today. And Lord, in a moment as we think about Jesus identifying with the cross 